but it is great to be here. And uh, it's been a long time for me between preachers at uh, Verdun. Some of you have been coming here for a while and maybe you've never uh, heard me preach live. Uh, some of you have kind of uh, attract with people who are like, oh, I have saw, saw you on the live feed over the COVID thing. I've never actually seen you preach live. So here's a live performance uh, this morning. And, uh, but it's really lovely to be here. I always feel like when I come here, I have the same feeling that I look around and I remember that what I see here and what God has done here began with 80 or 70 people who, who left Allgate with a, a heart to, to go and do something, believing that God was calling them to and God would, would take that and use it and bless it. And God's done that. And even that 70 started with a, a meeting with about 25 in the room who, who initially said, yes, we, we want to we wanna be part of this. So for me to come and look around is just such a blessing and just a like all praise to God moment for what he can do uh, in and through his church. Um, also, I'm excited that uh, this church, having been a church plant, is now about to church plant again. And I reckon that's exciting that there's a whole group of people I know amongst this group who are feeling a call to Lobethal and a heart to plant there. So I'm excited about what God's doing here. I'm excited about what God's going to do there. And one more thing that I'm excited about, just a little aside, is the crows last night. I'm excited about the crows last night. <laughs> so uh, a few people here representing Mitch Hawk, well done. And uh, Mandy, excellent. So uh, that's, uh, that warms, warms my heart. Um, so it's good. Anyway, on to the real stuff. Uh, this morning's message is part of a series which is called Grow Up. Grow Up. And Dave, last week, I understand, spoke about digging ditches. For those who are here will remember that. This idea of digging ditches, planting seeds, uh, setting the ground uh, to enable something to grow. And yet, uh, once a seed is planted, that's not the end of the story. A farmer doesn't sow the seed, finish the, uh, the, the, the seeding, put the seeder away and say, fantastic, job complete. There's a whole journey of growth that needs to happen. Uh, someone with an orchard doesn't just plant the tree and say, that's it. There's a whole lot of stuff that needs to go on. And so the question this morning is, how do we grow? topic is called, Dave's given it to me, so I've got to look it up again, sprouting and establishing. Sprouting and establishing. How do we grow up? One of my phrases, favorite phrases that defines how I think churches should be is the phrase, come as you are. That we want to say as a church, if you're here for the first time, if you're watching online and you've never stepped into a church building, if you hear this message, if you come across our church, we want to say that the attitude that we want to have is come as you are. You don't have to dress a certain way, look a certain way, tick a whole lot of certain theological boxes to say, believe, I believe this, this and this, before you can come in. That we should be a church that says, you are welcome to come into this church just as you are. We're going to love you and we're going to accept you. Uh, but as much as I believe that's a really important thing that we welcome people and say, just come as you are, sometimes come as you are uh, has, a, has a negative edge to it where it actually becomes so much like come as you are that we actually just are willing to let people just stay as they are. Because actually the, the message should be come as you are, but don't expect to stay that way. 
Because if we love you enough, and if God loves you enough, he says, come, I accept you, and I love you, but I don't want to leave you where you are. I want to see you get changed. I want to see you grow. And sometimes, sometimes churches are so big on we accept you just as you are. It's almost like, and you just never, ever need to change. Just stay exactly as you are. Everything about you we totally accept and doesn't need to change. But actually what God says, we, I accept you, and I love you, and I love you so much that I want to see you grow and change. Come as you are, but don't expect, don't, uh, but don't stay that way. God loves us so much, and we've got to keep growing right through the stages of life. It's not as though growth is this kind of like in the first, I don't know, decade of our Christian life, or growth is for our children, or growth is for our youth. Growth happens right through life, because what happens in life is life keeps changing. And we think we grow, and we're going okay, and then we face a circumstance or a situation, and we discover, wow, I've got to work out how I'm going to work through this how I'm going to grow through this, how I'm going to get through this. And God challenges us a a fair bit. And not so many of us have reached the stage of sinless perfection where we can say, I don't need to grow anymore. Uh, Maybe just Dave Shepard, who's not here this morning, has reached that point. (laughs) And Joe looks at me like, that is so not true. Um, No, we've all got to keep growing. Um, uh, So... um, God has a plan for us to grow. Uh, let me look at some scripture that talks about the importance of growing. In fact, the importance of growing is, is just stressed right through scripture. Have a look at Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 9 on the screen. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And please him in every way. And then it goes into what it looks like to please God. And it says this, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. I'm going to leave it there. The image actually is is an image of a tree, a fruit tree that grows and bears fruit. That's how we're going to please God in every way, that we would grow and that we would bear fruit. 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, and every kind uh, of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. A newborn baby just craves milk. It won't go through the whole night without craving milk. And when it's crying out, what it's crying out and saying is, I need more milk. And I guess there's mothers among us who would say that there's points where it's like, it wasn't so long ago I gave you some milk and now I've got to give you some more. But the baby just craves milk. And a newborn baby will double in weight in five months. That's pretty crazy. Some of us wouldn't be too excited if we doubled in weight in five months. But it's a good thing for a newborn baby to double in weight over a five-month period. And it doubles in weight purely on milk. Isn't that incredible? And, uh, and, and so therefore, we are meant to crave pure spiritual milk. We're meant to crave it, not just occasionally seek it, not just occasionally have a drink, but we are meant to crave pure spiritual milk. Some of us crave 
chocolate. Anyone here craves chocolate? Some of us crave coffee. Hands up. Okay, half the room. But the thing that we are meant to crave after more than anything is spiritual things, the spiritual things, the things of God. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 14 to 15. I'll give you one more passage before I get to my main passage. Um, Therefore, then we we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth of love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. Do you know, as a, it doesn't really require much to grow old. Growing old tends to happen. Tend, growing old, it doesn't take a lot from us to grow old. How many of us also know that's true? We experience growing old in our life. But it actually takes a fair bit of effort and partnership with God to grow up. And some people have grown old, but they haven't grown up. And it's actually a really sad thing when you see someone who's grown old, yet in their behavior and their practices and their attitude, they're still extraordinarily immature. On the other hand, there are those people who have grown old, but have also grown up in faith and in maturity. And then there's people that you encounter and you meet them and there's this wonderful richness, which we would call wisdom, that emanates from them. And they've got something that can speak into your life out of the experiences of their life, out of the growth that they've had, out of the fact that they, you know that they've journeyed with God and praise, give thanks to God for the mature Christians in our midst who have grown older but have also grown up and now bring such a great blessing to our church. Thank you for those who are above. I don't even know. I'll just pick a number. 60 in our church uh, who bring a richness of having journeyed with God over many years and grown up. So there's so many other passages. I could read you passage after passage that says that growing up is incredibly important. And yet growing up is also a great challenge because sometimes our our, uh, desire and our goal isn't met by the reality. Here's a little quiz for you, church. I want you to raise your hands if you have done and started out the Bible in a Year program. Raise your hand nice and high if you've started Bible in a Year. Now, look around, nice and high, come on. Keep your hand up if you completed it within a year. (laughs) Okay, congratulations to those people, legends. But 90% of people started out with a great ambition that wasn't quite met by reality. And if you want to have a good laugh, you can look online at Pinterest fails, expectation versus reality. People get this like, perfect birthday cake, kids' birthday cake that they want to build and they start out and it looks fantastic in the picture. And then they make it, and what they make doesn't quite measure up to reality. There's some fantastic pictures online. I haven't got any. You'll have to look them up. But there's a thing about life that sometimes the things of this world draw our attention more readily than the things of God. 
The things of this world can draw our attention more readily than the things of God. And honestly, I think so many of us battle with that in this world where everything is grabbing for our attention. Sometimes the messages that this world have, have a greater, that give to us, have a greater influence over us than the Word of God. The messages of this world are actually teaching us more sometimes than the Word of God is teaching us because the messages of this world are coming at us all the time. And sometimes we're better at doing for God than we are at being with God. We are so prone to self-sufficiency. So, how do we grow up in faith? Well, it's funny, Tegan spoke about metaphors. This is a bit of a metaphor fest, this sermon, because Jesus was actually the king of metaphors. And I love Jesus' teaching because Jesus keeps it so simple so much of the time. There's also a depth to Jesus' teaching. But Jesus keeps it simple. And often Jesus was teaching people out in the fields and he'd look around and he'd see the, the, the crops growing or he'd see the fruit trees or he'd see the vineyard and he'd just use that to make a very powerful point. And he does that in John 15 to talk about how we might grow up. He says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Now I'm going to hit pause there because I think there's a better word than remain and because remain just sounds not quite really capturing it. Uh, it just sounds like you just kind of stay there generally. But uh, a better word used in other translations, I think, is the word abide. Okay, I'm going to do a Dave Shepherd on you. Can everyone say, turn to the person next to you and say, abide. There we go. I'm just feeling like I'm in the zone now. <laughs> abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not abide in me, you're actually like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So I want to talk about abiding in God. What does it mean to abide in God? How do we abide in God? What a beautiful picture it is, this idea of, of that, that you are the, the, the vine. And, hold on, you are the vine, I am the branches. Have I got that right? Yes. Yep, you are the vine, I am the... Have I got it the wrong way around? I'm just going to keep going. All right, abiding in God is a really good thing. J.C. Ryle, the theologian, says this, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with Him. To be always leaning on Him, resting on Him, pouring out our hearts to Him and using Him as our fountain of life and strength as our chief companion and best friend. 
And the bit that, that jumps out to me in this passage is I love this idea of, of him being our fountain, of him being the one that we go and draw from and drink from and draw sustenance from. Do you know that if you actually go without food, you can actually survive quite a long time without food? You can survive like weeks without food, without eating anything, and you can actually survive for quite a long time. But if you go without water, you don't survive very long at all, a matter of days, and you will be dead because water and drinking day in, day out, and drinking and satisfying the thirst that comes upon us is essential for life. We have a a partnership as a church with an organization in Indonesia called Hohidiai. And it's on a small island in a very remote uh, part of Indonesia called the Malukus in an island called Halmahera. And Hohidiai has a, a large base, a bit of land where they have all sorts of buildings on there. And they bought that land many years ago, and it was previously a coconut farm, just covered in coconut trees, and it was a farm. And they bought that land. And when they, uh, when they bought it, the very first thing they did was they sunk a bore down to see what water was there. If there was water, if it was a, a plentiful supply, they didn't know whether it would be good quality, drinkable or not drinkable. And so they sunk this bore down, and what they discovered was they had purchased a piece of land upon which was this source of water out of this bore, which was some of the most beautiful, pure drinking water you could possibly find. And if many of you have been to Indonesia, if you go there, you know that you just don't drink the water, right? You just don't pour the water out of the tap and drink it, otherwise you're going to get sick. You've got to drink bottled water, you've got to clean your teeth with bottled water, you've got to be so careful about the water. And here is water coming up from under the ground, totally untreated, and you get there and they say, no, just pour from any tap on the entire property, just turn on the tap and you can drink that water. And you drink this water and it tastes delicious and it is so refreshing and you're, you're hot and you're sweaty because it's humid and this water just sustains you over and over. And, and what an incredible picture of the spiritual life that comes through that place in this picture of the spring that provides water. And how much is, I feel like, Western Christianity going thirsty despite the fact that the spring is right there? The spring is right there. It's right at hand. Every tap is is right with us. And yet so many Christians are thirsting for a deep experience and communion with God. Isn't that crazy? Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Let me talk about three things that I think help us to abide in Christ. The first is Scripture. If you remain in me, my words, if my words remain in you. And we need to be in the Word of God. It's such a basic thing. I'm not teaching you anything here this morning where you go, well, I have never heard a preacher tell me that I should read the Bible. What an incredible insight. But here's the problem. So many Christians today are not in the Word of God. We're not. We might be in a podcast, we might be in a Christian book, that's great. You're here hearing a sermon, 
That's great. All those things feed our soul. But let me tell you, you need to go straight to the source, the Word of God. And we need to read it. And we need to rediscover it. And we need to keep reading it. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. I'm not here to give anyone a guilt trip, but studies across Western Christians of Bible reading will expose the reality that so many Christians do not read the Bible. How tragic. This spring right there, and yet we're not drawing from it. So we need to be people who love the Word. We need to be people who read the Word. And the greatest way to discover a love for the Word is just to start reading it. And if you read it, and then you keep reading it, and then you persevere, then you will discover a deep love for God's Word. And God will speak by His Spirit through His Word because it's a living Word. We need the Scripture. The second thing we need, if we're going to abide in God, is structure. This is the vine and the branches. It doesn't explicitly say this, but it's implied in the text because anyone that's looked at a vine will discover that that vine is only growing healthy because it's got a structure to support it. It's got a trellis. And the trellis consists of posts stuck in the ground and wires that train the vine to grow along the wires. And without that structure, the vine collapses. Without that structure, it grows over itself and sunlight doesn't reach the places it needs to reach and the fruit doesn't grow and you don't end up with uh, fruit to be harvested. The trellis is incredibly important, the structure. And so here's another challenge for Christians. Most of us desire spiritual growth, yet live out our faith without any structure and wonder why we're struggling to bear fruit and grow. Let me tell you, if you don't have a structure and you don't have some, uh, some plan around how you're going to grow in faith, you're probably not going to grow. It's just like physical growth. Spiritual growth is like spiritual growth. If we desire to grow physically stronger and healthier, we need a plan. How many people have bought something off, you know, the, the, the TV, kind of the old ab workout thing, you know, the ab rocker, and they buy this thing because they saw the ad on TV, and they'd see the person with the incredible abs, and they're like, wow, I want that. So they buy the ab rocker, and three months later, it's like sitting under their bed because there was the desire but not a plan to, to go through it. You know, you want to you wanna grow massive uh, biceps? And, you know, we all know this, there's, a, there's a pastor in our church who's got pretty good biceps. You know, I'm talking about Robin Carter. And uh, if you want to be like that, that takes work. That takes discipline. And it takes structure. And it takes a plan. It just doesn't take good intentions. And so uh, there's a very practical way where you say, I want to grow in my faith. What is your structure? What is your structure? Well, I don't have any structure. Well, that's a problem. 
And so some of our structure might be, well, I'm going to be in church every week. That's a pretty good structure. I'm going to be part of a life group. I'm going to be committed to that. That's a structure. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to serve in an area. I'm going to be committed to some sort of daily pattern. I'm going to get hold of a daily devotion or whatever it is. It doesn't really, there's so many different structures that you can form, but without a structure, don't expect to grow. It's just not going to happen. Here's the third thing. We need Sabbath. We need Sabbath. How many people in this life, in our, in our Western world, you meet them and you say, how are you doing? And the answer is, well, or how have you been? And their answer is, well, I've been busy. I've been busy. And people would say that to me. And I, I, I for, for a while there was like, I don't want to say that I'm busy. So I'm going to say, my life has been full. My life has been full lately. Oh, I haven't been busy, but my life has been very full. Sounds so much more spiritual. You know, I'm, I'm prone just as much as the next person to being overly busy. And we've got a really challenging cultural issue in our lives where if you go back a generation or two, uh, <clears throat> between married couples, there was a, a total workload of one full-time equivalent. Because it used to be that the guy worked full-time and, and the wife worked at home. He didn't work in a paid role at all. And I'm not saying that's how it should be at all. It's fantastic to have our women working, of course. It's how we live out uh, our married relationship, my wife and I. But there's an incredibly challenging issue when now there's two full-time people working or close to it. And our lives are ramped up, so busy. And so somewhere, somewhere in there, we need to find Sabbath. Sabbath being dedicated, precious time when we draw aside to be with the Lord. Eugene Peterson said, Sabbath is that uncluttered time and space in which we can distance ourselves from our own activities enough to see what God is doing. Let me repeat that. Sabbath is that uncluttered time and space in which we can distance ourselves from our own activities enough to see what God is doing. Some of us, all of us, need Sabbath. I had the privilege of going to Israel uh, a couple of years ago. And on the Sabbath Eve, which is Friday night, the Jewish Sabbath, uh, people think the Jewish Sabbath is a Saturday. It actually starts when the sun goes down on Friday night to when the sun goes down on Saturday night. That's the Jewish Sabbath. And on the Sabbath Eve, we happened to be in Jerusalem and we went to the Western Wall because we'd heard it's a really special thing to go there on the eve of, eve of the Sabbath. Didn't really know what was going to happen. But we got in front of the Western Wall, sometimes known as the Wailing Wall. It's actually offensive to the Jewish people. It's, it's the Western Wall. And uh, as we got there, there were, there were streams and streams of men and women coming into the area of the Western Wall. They were segregated because that's how they do it. And so we went into the, the men's area and I had my skull cap on, uh, the skull cap, the little, um, the, the little hat, which I can't remember the name of. Someone tell me. Yeah, yeah, yamaka. Is that right? Yeah. Had my yamaka on and, every, as all the, and we, we went into this, into this area in front of the Western Wall as thousands and thousands of people gathered to celebrate the fact that God was about to give them another Sabbath. And they began spontaneously singing, these men, and dancing 
and linking arms and dancing around in a circle. And they just began to, some of them weep, and they began, some of them, to cry out. And it was the most incredible thing because it was totally unstructured. There was no organization. It was just thousands and thousands of men and women saying, thank you, God, that you are giving us rest. And I just feel like as Western Christians in this day and age, we have forgotten how to rest. We've forgotten how to rest. And I know, I know how incredibly difficult it is to find space for Sabbath. But we have to carve it out. We have to carve it out. And so that we can abide in Christ. So to abiding in Christ is Scripture, structure, and Sabbath. There's three things. There's one other word I talk about, abiding. There's one other A word, and that is allowing. We've got to allow God to do some work in us. We've got to allow Him to do two things. We've got to allow Him to cut off the fruitless branches, the stuff that just needs to be removed from our life. And then the good stuff where we are bearing fruit, we've got to allow Him to work. Either way, we've got to allow God and invite Him to say, God, come and do some cutting, some pruning in my life. And that's kind of hard because because cutting hurts and pruning hurts. But we all know if you're if you're a gardener, you know this this fact. If you do not if you do not prune, if you do not cut off, then that vine is going to end up a mess very quickly because it's going to get overgrown with all the stuff that it doesn't need and it's not going to be uh, pared back to allow it to be fruitful in the way that it should be. I don't know this morning if you have something in your life that needs to be pruned or something in your life that you can just, if you just think about it and pray about it, God's going to say to you, put it on your heart and say, this is the thing. Maybe it's an attitude that you've been stuck with for way too long, God says, it's time for that to be cut off. Maybe it is uh, some commitments, that it's some things that you're doing that are actually overly busy and are distractions in your life. You just need to say, I've actually got to cut this back. I've got to prune this back because it's just too much. Maybe you've got a, a stubborn sin in your life that needs to be removed from your life by the power of God And if that's the case, I want to encourage you to say that God can break through and remove that. And maybe it's just something that you're you're distracted by, just a distraction in your life that's that's preventing you from the fullness of abiding in God. Well, I want to just encourage you this morning, if that's you, to invite the gardener in to come and do some work. We all need an ongoing pruning in our life. Well, there's a theory. Let me share with you a bit about my story, about the practice. About 15 years ago, when I was maybe three years into ministry, I guess, I remember distinctly talking with a mentor in my life. And he had been observing uh, how I was doing ministry and the pace that I was doing ministry, and the way that I was going about ministry, and talking with me about the number of nights I was having out in my ministry. And uh, he said to me, Mark, I think you're overworking. 
And I think if you keep doing this, there will be a point where you will not be able to do this anymore and you're going to hit a burnout point. And I said, in response to the wise words of my mentor, I said, well, thank you. Thanks for your words. But you don't understand. I'm a very high-functioning person. You know, some pastors I know, they need a fair bit of rest. And they need a fair bit of just, you know, going at a certain pace. But, but I really feel like I'm a high-functioning kind of pastor. Like I can kind of go at a different pace to most other people. And I actually love the busyness. And I love to be kind of on the go. I, I draw kind of some sort of energy from that. And so, uh, you know, it, it, that might be the case. It's good advice for other pastors. But I think I'll be okay. And five years went by, no problems. Ten years went by, no problems. I got to maybe 13-year mark a couple of years ago. And I began to discover that if actually if you don't take the time to abide in Christ over many, many years, if you kind of start out sprinting a marathon, then you might get halfway through that marathon. Like I've been in ministry for almost 20 years and I'm about to hit 45. So that means I probably got, I'm probably almost the halfway mark. And so you prayed just before for me because I'm taking a sabbatical. That's coming out of the realization that if you sprint a marathon for long enough, you get way out ahead of the pack. But there comes a point when you realize that actually I'm not going to be able to sprint for another 20 years. So I'm taking a break. And I resisted the pruning shears for many more. And I resisted for some crazy reason the the idea of Sabbath in my life. I traded it away because I thought I would love to do it, but I've just got too much stuff to do. And then I'm writing this sermon this week. And I'm talking to Simon Hermel. I'm not sure if Simon's here right now on the phone and he can vouch for this conversation but he's talking about how I'm going. I said, you know what, I've, I've had such a crazy fortnight and I've actually been physically not well and I'm really run down. And I really just, I know I'm about to have a sabbatical, but I actually really need to spend some time with God. But I actually, mate, I just can't spend time with God because I'm, I just got to finish this sermon encouraging people to spend time with God. <laughs> it's like, you know, madness, really. And God just reminds me, Sabbath, abiding, be with God. One day Jesus came to town and he came to the house of a a lady called Martha. And and I'm going to finish with this so the band can come up and, and get ready. But he came to this town and went into Martha's house. And Martha had a sister called Mary. I think we many of us know this story. And said that Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus replies, Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. You see, he actually goes deeper. He doesn't even talk about the housework. He talks about something about Martha's heart here. You're worried and upset about many things. 
but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. You know, some of us are wired to be Marys and some of us are wired to be Marthas. And, and to be honest, I'm, I'm more Martha than Mary by, by a long shot. And I used to think that maybe Jesus is being a bit harsh with Martha here. I used to sit in Martha's corner and say, come on, it's fair enough, isn't it? You know, Mary just sits there at Jesus' feet. Someone's got to get the work done. But let me tell you, if you've reached a point where you are upset that someone is sitting at the feet of Jesus and you're trying to get Jesus to stop that person from sitting at his feet, then it's time to spend some time sitting at the feet of Jesus. We all need to sit at the feet of Jesus. There is no better place to sit than at the feet of Jesus. In fact, sitting at the feet of Jesus in this picture, with Jesus being a teacher, is very significant. Because that's what students did. Students would sit at the feet of their teacher, of their rabbi, of their master. To sit at the feet says, I'm going to just submit myself. I'm going to stop. I'm going to fully devote myself to learning from you. I recognize you're the teacher. I recognize I'm the student. I recognize I need to learn here. So I'm sitting at your feet. When you sit at the feet of Jesus is the point where you begin to grow. When you begin to grow. There's an old song which we're not about to sing. um, Which I was going to quote, but now I can't even quote it, Lee. So... Uh, You might have to help me. Um, Here I am waiting. Yeah, got it. Here I am waiting. Abide in me, I pray. Um, I can't remember the rest, but the chorus goes something like, this is such a bad thing to start quoting a song that you can't remember. Um, Come live in me. All my life take over. Come breathe in me. And I will rise eagle's wings how about we stand on our feet and I want to pray for us that we might abide in Christ we might abide in Him that we might abide in the Word of God that we might develop some structure in our life that you might develop a Sabbath in your life that you might invite God in to be the pruner and the gardener let us pray together Heavenly Father what a gift it is that the living water is freely available. What a gift it is that you are the bread of life who can sustain us. Lord, I want to pray that this, we as a church might not just be a busy church and busy people, but a people who abide in you. Lord, draw us back into your word because what a wonderful, beautiful thing is the word of God the way you speak to us through it. Help us and remind us not to go home from here and do nothing about the reality of the need for some structure in our life. But just as the vine needs a trellis, 
we need a plan. And we need a real plan. We can't live off inspiration. We can't live off good intentions. We need some structure. And so if that's you and you need some structure, I'm going to pray that God would would put it on your heart to actually do something about that this week. And if you need some Sabbath, maybe it's just like a window of 15 minutes. I don't know, once a day, once a week, even just to carve that out and set it aside and use it to stop and be reminded of God's activity, God's activity, not your activity. And may you, as you go into this week, even in this moment, invite God in to prune away and cut away at the things that need pruning, that you might be even more fruitful and that God might remove the stuff that is just dead and needs to be cut away to expose the light to grow the, to grow the fruit. So I pray for a fruitful, fruitful church that grows not out of human effort but simply by drawing deep attaching to that vine that we might grow. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.